Hey guys, I'm Riss. I'm Liza. And I'm Lindsay. And this is the Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast. And finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. Make Peep and Lola be our live studio audience today. Um, Lola, she is over there. She's kind of listening. I think she's taking a nap, but maybe we'll wake her up. She does have lots of opinions on reproductive rights. I was going to say, does she care about reproductive rights? She is a lesbian woman, so yes. Yes. Slay, Lola. Hello, LGBTQ community. She only likes women except for like the men who are constantly in her life because she has grown attached to them. That pretty much explains me as well. (laughs) What's the episode about today? Reproductive rights, ovaries. Ovaries, reproductive rights. Um, Before Lindsay tells us about like her special connection to the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade, Lindsay, do you want to like tell the listeners about yourself? Sure. So I met Liza and Riff through Pratt. We were all writing majors together. Um, I met Liza in Dolos class mm-hmm. and instant connection. I had to fight my way to be her friend because other people want to take that spot. <laughs> and then Riss joined us shortly after and it's been a love connection ever since and now we're friends from far away and I love them so much with all my heart and I'm so excited and grateful to be here um right now I am a popular fiction publishing major at for my master's at Emerson College and I mainly write like fantasy including like witchy women or women finding like their power in the world or how to handle like the circumstances they're in and like make it their own that's kind of my focus and anything with magic. I love magic and romance thrown in to feminist plot lines. But as for my connection with uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, out of all my friends, I am the only one from the South. And so down here, I think it's a much different atmosphere to be in during a time like this because you're much more faced with the like bible thumpers the idea that this right like will completely be taken away and like god forget forbid i get pregnant and i don't want to have a kid that option to get an abortion is not available and really far away right now in georgia it's still here but we'll see what happens but it's just very disheartening and to hear so many people don't agree with it but it's what's happening to us anyway it's out of our control is terrifying especially compared to all the books we've been reading in school and because Liza and I took a a feminist fiction dystopian magic class where we read so many books about reproductive rights that now are coming true and they're supposed to be dystopian novels but now they're real is quite frightening yeah I remember in that class, we read an article about like the possibility of women being charged with murder for a miscarriage. And then I did see a few things like literally about like the, that 
being an actual potential now <laughs> and like just like yeah like we there was it's it's fun it's crazy it's insane my biggest thing that I was saying like from 2019 when the first like heartbeat bills like were being passed down here is um Red Clocks by Lainey Zumas. That's one of the books we read in that class. That one is the most realistic right now. I'm telling everybody to read it. Yeah. It's basically about just like where abortions are banned, IVF is banned, because that's what we're all talking about now. Like what's next? And that might be next on the on the list. And so it's just like all these different women with different struggles of how these laws impacted them, but they live very normal lives. Like one's a school teacher, one's a housewife, one's a student. And very, very normal lives, but like they are supposed to be in this dystopian society that now is like exactly like the real world. It's very scary. Yeah. It literally takes place in the after the rover, overturning of Roe v. Wade. Like that's the that's the backdrop. And Marissa, you read that like in season one, and you read it before they overturned Roe v. Wade. Yeah. I read it when like all mm, I think when the Supreme Court was talking about it yeah I don't I remember like the week that I read it it was in the news a lot for whatever reason um but that was like December January so it was wild do you think like when you were reading that that you saw that it would become real because when I did I was like yes this is going to happen but I think that about Handmaid's Tale right no, and I definitely did. I thought the same thing that you thought. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I never thought it was actually going to happen. I don't know if I'm just really optimistic about most things or I don't know. I just, I really did not think it was going to happen. And then when it did happen, that was just a weird day. It was such a, I literally went outside and I was like, did no one hear what, everyone's acting so normal. Right. Like, and it just felt, it's like, it's like when something happens and you just feel like your whole body's just been dipped in cold water. That's how I felt. Yeah, I know. It's so, it was like, I don't know. It was like, we're living through too many historical moments in history. I like, I still feel like it hasn't happened mainly because I've never actively needed an abortion. Like I'm a sexually active woman, but I've never actively needed an abortion. Like I've never had I've never been pregnant and wanted to end it. I've never been pregnant at all. So I don't know how people who must feel who have actually been in that situation or who future will be, and hopefully knock on wood, I won't like I have, I am on birth control, but you never know. And like when you're faced with that choice and then there's not even an option there for you, I can't imagine what that feels like. And I hope I never, no one here ever has to feel that. But when you see in like, especially in red clocks there's like the scenes where the girl's trying to get an abortion and it's just so unsafe it's like thinking about all the people that are going to die from this or get hurt and I remember like a rumor going around my high school once about a girl who got like a coat hanger abortion and how terrifying that was and everyone was making sure like like worried about her but also right. shaming her like what's going to happen right it's terrifying like how many people are going to die and will it ever be reversed like right being a law it's terrifying and it's not really I mean living in New York my dad was like why do you even care like why are you even worried about it and for one it's just the principle for mm-hmm. two it is things like that and then I think about like my sister had a really really bad 
pregnancy with um, Silvio where she was really sick, but he was perfectly fine. And they told her that if she were to get pregnant again, there would be like a hundred percent chance that she would die. So what would she do in that situation? You know what I mean? And how many people have things like that where they literally cannot get pregnant? And again, Silvio was fine. He would live. And while some states are like um, putting like the ban, like including that like you cannot have an abortion even if there's rape and incest. And some are saying you can still get an abortion with rape and incest. It's still like, why is this even a question? Like a 10-year-old girl had to come to Georgia. Still like glad Georgia's open, but I think Texas or Arkansas, I cannot remember, had to come to Georgia to get an abortion 10 years old. And I think her father or grandfather or some incestuous or like rape related relationship but like how like what what does this mean to women like are people just mm-hmm. allowed to like abuse your body or mm-hmm. is your body not your own especially like, if you don't want to carry a child but people it's it sucks to think that they care about the um the fetus so much while it's in the woman's body but they don't give a shit about it afterwards right and same way back it's like why don't you care about the living? Like the people already here. I've been protesting. I've been like doing what I can, but at the same time, like you're adding your voice to thousands is like the only thing. And like writing as we all do is the only thing you can do right now. And it just feels like way too little, but there's nothing else to do. Yeah. That's like my biggest issue. And people are trying to say that like turn overturning Roe v. Wade is all right because there's all these different forms of birth control out there, but birth control wreaks havoc on women's bodies, especially mentally like some can't have because they're having suicidal thoughts it's a majority of women who have to take it or excessive weight gain or anything that just like doesn't make you feel like yourself same thing with getting pregnant like you just don't feel like you're yourself in your own body yeah that's the thing too like when you look at it it's like okay here's the way specifically roe v wade impacts abortion but then it's like this umbrella effect that affects so many other things like like and it makes you think about other stuff like how women aren't, how you have to get an IUD. Um, they don't let you take any numbing medicine. They don't put you out. Like, like even like when they do cervical biopsies too, they're apps, they're cutting out a piece of your cervix. They're shoving this small T-shaped thing up into it. Like why well, I understand why it's expected of people, but also I just think you don't know people's other than like their financial situation, their body, like what's best for their body. And then right. they think, like if someone has like severe and severe eating disorder, getting pregnant is not the best thing for them. No, there's so many things like it just affects this such larger issue. And like, like you were saying earlier too, like they care about unborn lives more than they care about people who actually are alive. And it's like, you look at how hard this is going to hit, especially for like poor women and women of color in the South. Mm-hmm. who aren't going to have access to abortion and then you know because if you have a level of privilege you can leave the state and you can go get one and like thankfully if you have like supportive parents like you can leave and you can go get one in new york or wherever you have to go yeah but, like it creates this, money to travel to go do that right it like creates this chain reaction of throwing people into poverty because they were forced to have a child no i do have to say like my boyfriend Shane, he his family did grow up in like a much poorer county in um, Georgia, and like the school system there, like it was half like a magnet school, half like a like school that came from like much lower income families. And he said the girls there, like they would get pregnant, and they wouldn't have abortions. And he just said it was part of like the cycle there of like women just got pregnant and had kids, and then they were stuck in the same cycle of poverty. They didn't want to either for religious reasons or they just 
it just wasn't a part of their culture. But I think that starts as like, even with like without insurance, with insurance, I think abortions are $500. Like if you're struggling to feed your family, you're not going to, even if you, you have to add one more mouth, you don't have that $500 to throw away within like the time you have to get an abortion, especially with like a six week heartbeat bill. Like right. you're stuck either way. And so it just becomes the normal and it's already become the normal. Mm. And just like, but it's still like, you have to have those options because right. the people who choose to, who want to make that path for themselves are either like, can find a way to do it safely. You're taking, like the thing is they're taking away the safety. It's like, don't you want everyone to be safe? Right. Like, the HO, like passing it to where like pregnant women can ride in the HOV, like that's for safety. Like, why don't you want people who like, don't want this thing in their body that is technically a parasite. Right. Yeah. Why don't, why can't they remove it safely? Right. And it's also the safety of the kid. Like if, if you don't want a baby and then you have a baby, you're probably not going to want that after it's born. You know what I mean? Yeah. And up in foster care where, you know, I've seen a bunch of videos of people asking pro-life people, oh, do you have kids? And they go, yes. And they go, oh, you would, how many of them did you adopt? And they say, I didn't adopt any of my kids. It's like, they're not willing to help the kids that they say adoption is the only option, like that should be the only option you have if you get pregnant, but then nobody wants to adopt the kids. So they end up in foster care forever. Yeah. Don't they realize like a majority of like, when there's already too many children in foster care, like past a certain age, they don't get adopted. So if we have this influx of babies, there's, it's just going to be more people in the system for longer and longer, as well as like, we already deal with overpopulation, like as much as it sucks to say, like abortion is a natural part of like cutting that out more so like past the, like what happens with the babies afterwards, if parents choose not to keep them or do choose, like it just creates more cycles of generational trauma and abuse, because if you don't want a child and you're forced to take care of this child, you can't afford, you don't want either because maybe you're not with the other like the other parent anymore maybe I don't even know but like so many people have when they have to kill children they don't want they treat them poorly and it's just an endless cycle of abuse and I just I, I don't I don't understand I don't see how banning abortion is helping anyone but the people who it doesn't impact at all there's the people who can't even get pregnant anymore like all I see is like these older middle-aged white women talking about it like my mom even said like she's like i I like, I can't imagine this going on. Like I, my mom's like, I wouldn't get an abortion, but it would be nice to have the option. Like, you don't even have to worry about this. You don't have like your reproductive system anymore. You can't have children. You're past a certain age. You don't even have to worry about the ifs, ands, or buts, but we do. And the people who are making the laws are people who don't have to worry about the ifs, ands, or buts. And that's what sucks. It's like, why aren't, like, I understand why more young people are not in office, but at least people in their thirties, forties, like we're dealing with like 60, 70 year olds, 80 year olds, people who won't be around to see the repercussions. Right. I just don't understand why this like forced reproduction, like why are you forcing people to reproduce? It is weird. It's it not like a little bit fetishy. Like, it's weird. Like, why are you forcing people to reproduce? That kind of like goes back to like the book that I read. I read Out Loud by Anna North. And it's like a, kind of dystopian society in like the eight, 1890s where like there was a huge flu that collapsed the world like it's not you the U.S. anymore but people are like living in the U.S. and the territories and it kind of was taken over by these fundamentalists to believe that like of course like it was west old western times like everyone has to get married young but if you don't produce a child within like a certain amount of time and you're infertile 
you're a witch. People say that you've been cursed on you, you get hanged, you get killed. And so there's now like this group of like outlaw women who are all infertile women trying to figure out like their place in the world and create a safe haven for themselves. And I even thought about that, like when people talk about what it means to be a woman and people say someone who could have a baby, like why is that labeled what it means to be a woman? Right, right. It's just odd to me. Like I understand like when people are trying to like figure out how non-binary and trans people fit into the umbrella of womanhood, but women, people who are born externally women, many of them can't have children and that doesn't mean they're any less of a woman. Right, right. Yeah. And I go back to like other stuff with Roe versus Wade. Yeah. My book was similar. Um, I read The Core of the Sun by uh, Johanna Sincelo and it's actually translated from Finnish, but it was also dystopian set like in these times, like 2016, 2017, but it was written in like 2013. So kind of like Red Clocks type beat. Um, and yeah, it was like women in this society were separated into two different groups alloys who are like they have to be feminine they have to get married they have to have children because they're deemed the ones who like need to reproduce and should reproduce and then there's morlocks who are the other women who are like basically it seems it it, they kind of let you know that they're basically like forcibly sterilized men are the same way there's mascos and then there's minus masks who are men that are deemed like less than men um and it doesn't do like it, it doesn't do a like phenomenal job about explaining how gender non-conforming and trans people fit into that but I think it's like pretty self-explanatory that like gay men are considered minus men uh trans women are considered more locks like the only people that are deemed like acceptable to society are these like masculine, masculine men and these women that are forced to be feminine and then forced to reproduce. Um, so kind of like a similar vibe. My book, um, it's titled Roe v. Wade and it's by Matt Shaw. And we are going to talk about Mr. Matt Shaw and his fun stuff he's got going on. But, okay, I think it takes place, which I thought this book was present day, but it actually takes place in 2032, so in 10 years. And it says that it's an extreme horror. A lot of things are banned, and a lot of things are um, different, mainly for women. And it kind of goes through how that is affecting people. Um And it ends with a bang. And I'm just going to let you know, I'm going to spoil the whole book so that nobody has to read it. Because Oh, I'm not going to read it because nobody has to. I'm like, I am a blabbermouth. I can't hold anything back, but I will try my best. That's fine, too. I just, I kind of don't think people should buy this one. (laughs) Do you want to go first? I'm Now I'm curious. I can go first. Yeah. So, yeah. So, like I said, it's 2032 and women have all these laws put on them and it mainly follows um two people who who are um a lady named Kate and a man whose name I think is Clyde and so Kate finds out she's pregnant her husband got a vasectomy but I didn't know this I guess vasectomies aren't always a hundred percent 
Yeah, I was literally just talking about this like less than an hour ago because I also heard someone talking about like if women have to get birth control, men should just get like because birth control is so abrasive, vasectomies because they're 75% reversible, but still that's not like a good enough margin to be like, let me go get a vasectomy because I want kids later and then have right. it. But they they can fail because it can grow back. Like they snip something and they're supposed to tie it off, but it can grow back. I hate that. I know it's kind of nasty, but it's like bodies. I hate that so much. Your tonsils uh, got too. Tonsils can grow back. So, ew. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she winds up pregnant and doesn't want it and um in this america the you know jobs can't find them cost of living skyrocketed um so you know not really a fun place to be in in this america but you know we could be heading there of course and so she doesn't want the kid and her husband doesn't want the kid and her husband decides to tell the baby authorities that she doesn't want the kid. So she gets taken into a birthing facility, which is really where they pretty much strap all these pregnant people to beds who have made it seem like they don't want their child for some reason. And they pump all the nutrients into the baby and give the mom just enough to survive and force them to give birth to these babies. And then I'm going to tell you what happens after they give birth in a minute. Um, So Clyde works at the birthing facility. And um, in this America, you should also know that things are segregated again which is really not great. He's got to transport them and he's feeling really icky about it. And he decide, and his wife gets pregnant. And so he kills his wife and then goes and shoots up the facility. And you find out that after these women give birth, they take them and dump them into these giant machines that grind them up and all and they kind of like strain it. So all the juices they give to baby babies and then all the meat they give to like the older children. I've got a quick question. Is this written by a man or a woman? A man. Okay. Mine was written by a woman. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, not only is he a man, but he's a man from the UK, which is interesting. Yeah. So you find out that they grind up the women after they give birth because no one they just kind of disappear and their families don't hear from them again and if you do mourn them you get in trouble so you can't do that and how he like made it at the end is that the U.S. is like building this army of um children because the children don't go back to the families either and when which hey that would solve the the foster kid problem (laughs) and um The reason why they're feeding them meat, human meat, um, is because I guess it like makes them wild or something so that when they put them in the middle of a war zone and like not give them that, it'll make them go crazy. So kind of weird, kind of silly, kind of goofy. That's pretty much the whole book. And I have lots of issues with it. 
It sounds kind of scary. Like, I don't know how you finished it or even read half of it. I would have probably started to cry and closed it. I like that stuff. <laughs> I read Tender as the Flesh and I was like, mm, this is delicious. I know you do, but this. <laughs> Rick, even you said it was too much. It was just like kind of stupid. Like I was like, what? The- Bestie, <laughs> Mr. Matt, what are you doing? For readability, I gave it a seven. It's simply because it's very short. It's only 138 pages and um it's the font is huge so like it was real easy to just get through it um i also feel like because it it don't eat my garlic bread penelope i also feel like because it went so fast i didn't even really have time to decide how i felt about it when i was reading it i was just like going for it um for language and style I'll give it like a four or a five, just average writing. I felt like a lot of it wasn't fully fleshed out like it could have been. It almost felt like he just kind of dipped his toe in and then rushed to write it to get it out, which is probably what happened. Um, Not very descriptive. It felt fairly preachy and political and not disguised enough. like when a character is going on a tangent it felt like a political speech instead of I don't know I don't know it should be disguised better I shouldn't feel like I'm being force-fed politics whether I agree with them or not so form we're just gonna skip it because there wasn't really form um for shelf worthy read again I gave it a two don't really care to keep this one on my shelf i But I don't think anyone, like, I don't even know how I would get rid of it. Penelope's going to get yelled at if she goes after my garlic bread one more time. I would say don't buy it. Um, I just, just don't. It felt a lot to me like trauma porn. And I'm going to get into that in one second. Um, So for the plot, I gave it a four. Like I said, it was it was rushed. There was lots of gun violence in this book, which made sense. Um, there are a lot of heavy acts of violence in this book, which were carried out. But weirdly enough, not by women. All of it was by men. Um, the Kate, when her husband turns her in, he then goes home and shoots himself. Very interesting. And that huge thing that was carried out at the end was all by I forgot what his name was. Clyde? Is that what his name was? Claude. That's his name. It's all carried out by him. There was like no... And and obviously in the facility, all the violence being carried out is by men to women. Also very strange to me. Like I feel like in a Roe v. Wade book, you would think that women would be acting out. I know I would. I feel the need to act out. But how come the men there wasn't even like the um the like cathartic feeling of a woman getting her revenge like it was just all men it was so strange to me that that was a choice that was made which I also think about it and I'm like I don't know like maybe Matt didn't feel comfortable making the women do it but at the same time I don't know why he felt comfortable to write this book but I guess that's none of my business um although I will give this to him 
there's a lot of like racist aspects in this book because things are segregated and not once did he say the n-word in the book it was very nice we respect that there were some things that i liked about it i like the attention to detail that was given such as if you're trying to force women to have babies then you need to have other rules that would help make that possible for example in this book there's a ban on travel as soon as it's as soon as you buy a pregnancy test, the government then has your name on a list and then you are banned to travel at all. And I, I mean, that's a pretty smart idea. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it at all, but it's smart. Um, there's also laws to ensure that women take care of themselves and they have to drink special milkshakes and things like that. Um, so, he put a lot of thought into it in that way, which I thought were interesting. I did think it was weird that vasectomies were legal, but then again, that's a man thing. So of course it would be. So probably my favorite thing about this book was that at the end, when Claude does his big thing, his whole plan is I'm going to kill all the workers who work there. And then I'm going to call the news station and let them know what's going on here because I'm going to be a hero is, is what he thinks to just expose the atrocity that's going on. And I thought this was kind of funny, but so he calls the media to tell them what he's doing. And they're like, bro, we have enough news about mass shootings. We don't care and hang up on him. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 probably. Um, I thought that was so funny when I read it. <laughs> like, I was like, of course that would happen. <laughs> um, I do wonder, like, for gun violence feels very Republican to me. <laughs> and so what does it mean for a seemingly liberal character to act out in a big gun violence way i i don't know i thought that was an interesting choice for matt to make like being pro-choice is not only about giving women control over their own bodies but like we were talking about it's for safety and health reasons and don't we not want people to die and um I just like for a character to be so upset about the death and the abuse and the mistreatment of all these women and then to go and kill a whole bunch of people was just so strange. It's just so strange. So I don't know about any of that. For characterization, I gave it a two. I feel like the characters weren't given enough to make them feel real to me at all. And that's about it. Lastly, I, I kind of do just want to say, like, what does it mean not only for a man to be writing this book, but for a man who lives in the UK to be writing a horror book on women's reproductive issues in America? I don't know. It comes down to that thing, like, who can write what, which is a conversation that we have so many times, and it never goes anywhere. But I am just... I think that if this was a different book, we would have this conversation and it would be more like, oh, like men can do it. But when it comes to a book like this, where the whole thing is just trauma porn and more violence against women, it's just, 
I don't know, man from the UK, like you probably shouldn't be writing this. And that's how I feel about that. Don't buy this book. Also, there's a warning on the front cover. It says, this is an extreme horror. There are potentially upsetting themes. If easily offended, please do not read. I'll leave you with that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That is so uncomfortable. My thing, I think, based on what you said, it's like, I do not like to be the person who's like, a man wrote this book. Because men write great books sometimes. Sometimes. But like, with this, I think it's with anything, like, I would never write a book from a Black person's perspective. Other stuff, like, an Asian person's perspective. It's like that lack, the thing that was lacking in the book sound like was like the female gaze, the female perspective of like how women react in situations like this. Like nobody would just stand by. All those women were killed long ago, like kind of how Handmaid's Tale ended up doing things. But when that's not explained, then their actions make no sense. Especially, I, I totally agree with what you said about gun violence. Like that is a very Republican thing to do in case like Maybe all these people in this world are Republican, but now, like, what it means to be Republican is, like, completely different because all the liberals have been killed. Who knows? But what a weird thing for a British man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, a white British guy said, you know what I'm going to do? Write extreme horror about Roe v. Wade. And it started off really promising. It really, like, I'm, it did. His opening, his introduction was really good. When that happens. And I was like, okay, I'm, I trust this man. He gave you a little history of, of Roe v. Wade, which was really, really nice. And then I was just like, this is all, this is all just more violence, sir. For what? I wonder what compelled him to write this book. I felt like this was the next novel I need to write. Because novel writing, as we all know, is very hard. Like, the amount of years, months you spend on a book. Like, what made him want to dedicate his time to this? Right. And it's it's also weird because I um, logged this into Storygraph. And all the covers looked like this. Different title same warning his name what sir like i i kind of want to pick up one of his other books just so i can be like what is this what's going on what's happening for people that work at barnes and noble you know it's i look at that cover it's giving pod it's giving print on demand (laughs) it is so right oh my god i'm sorry that just sent me i haven't my barnes and noble days ended like maybe nine months ago but that like everything sends me back but that's pod baby (laughs) that's crazy like a kind of like a soft cover like like you touch it and like it's a little bit like comforting to touch yeah young demands always have like a very special feel to them you do it feels like my book that i printed my copy of my thesis on barnes and noble it's print on demand and it, it has that cover like that's so, that it's like almost like silky I can't even explain it it's yeah. got my greasy um it like absorbs my garlic bread fingerprints yeah I am really glad though like especially from a guest perspective that, like you chose to read a book when we're talking about reproductive rights have one opinion be from like a book that was written by a man who isn't in like 
directly. Well, they, like men are directly impacted by this because if they don't want a child, like they never really got a say in it before, but they definitely get, don't get a say in it now. I think it is an interesting perspective to look at. And I'm glad we have like all different categories to draw from. That was like really smart on both your parts to choose. I'm just so good at picking books. <laughs> it radiates from your Zoom screen. So I read the book, The Core of the Sun by Johanna Susillo, um, which is a Finnish novel. It's translated from the Finnish. And the, I've never heard of this genre before, but I'm now so intrigued. And it's a genre called Finnish weird. And I guess there's just this whole culture of like these very bizarre novels that are written in Finland. And this book falls into that category of Finnish weird. Um, also to th- set the scene... You might be thinking like it's similar like why is a woman from Finland writing about this that and the other this book does take place in Finland so I believe it's the only one out of all of our books that doesn't take place in the United States but it is still looking at reproductive rights um currently Finland has like a female-led uh a woman-led government um their prime minister is a woman a lot of their people in like their government representatives are women and they're on like a really cool track to being like, you know, they're one of those countries that you would look at it and you're like, if, if we have to live in a capitalist society, we should do it like Finland, but it wasn't always like that. And, you know, they do have really comprehensive um, sexual and reproductive health and rights. They have very comprehensive childcare. You get like, years of paid maternity leave between you and your partner in Finland every Finnish person when they have a baby gets sent a box that like has like childcare items that you need and it can even be used as a crib like it's a very cool country but this woman was just imagining um what if that were not the case and I'm guessing I think she was influenced by America in a way because there are some nods to like like Marissa and Marissa's like racism in America um, and, and how like sort of corrupt they deem America as corrupt in this book because they're like hedonists in America and they're like drink alcohol and smoke cigarettes, which I'll like get into later as to why that's a thing in the book, a big part of the book. But like, I think she was influenced by American culture, but I also think that she was taking from bits and pieces of how like Finnish women are expected to exist in society and like, I'm guessing this really touched with a lot of Finnish women, but like American women can definitely relate to this too. So um, basically I explained it already, but it has a society where women are separated into two different groups, Eloise and Morlocks, one of which are basically forced to reproduce, even though it's kind of deemed like they're allowed to reproduce, the others are not. Um, but there's this whole thing that's happened that's happened in is happening called the domestication of the feminine woman. And they're basically treating women like they're like farm animals, like when they say domestication, like how these women need to be raised, what they need to do. And it's things that you would deem as like kind of like, I think it is sat- satirical, this book, in a lot of ways, because it's like these women are forced to, like, go to home ec college and, like, learn how to cook, and, like, they have to wear makeup, and they have to swing their hips when they walk, and they have to do, like, they have to flirt with every man they see. Like, it is satire, but it's also, like, you know, that when you tie it into the fact that these women are forcibly married and forced to have children, and the repercussions that happen when they don't have children 
it is like a really interesting, I guess, detail that she added all of that. The other main factor of this book is it is sort of a mystery. So the whole time our main character, who is actually a Morlock, but is pretending to be an Eloy. So she's an infertile woman or like a the type of woman that's not allowed to reproduce, pretending to be the other kind because they are like technically safer in society, but then you find out that they're actually not. Um, but yeah, that's beside the point. She's writing letters to her sister who has gone missing after having been married to a man and you sort of get to unfold that mystery of what happened to her sister why what happened happened um the other main thing about this book that I just found really funny and it was like I don't know like such a weird detail is certain things in Finland are illegal so like watching like tv um, microwaves, like eating, like you're not supposed to eat that much red meat. You're not supposed to eat that much sugar. You're not supposed to eat processed foods. You're not supposed to drink. You're not supposed to smoke cigarettes. You're not supposed to smoke weed. But the other thing that they're not allowed to do is have anything with a lot of spices in it. And hot peppers, like spicy food is especially banned. So the new like drug is peppers, like hot peppers. So this woman as she's struggling with like living this life that's a lie and living in this awful society and like her one male companion who's like trying to get enough money so they can leave, grappling with her sister having gone missing and spoiler alert, since you find it out very early, having been murdered, also grappling with this addiction to chili peppers and the, the the descriptions of her like having to get a fix and like what happens when she eats the chili peppers are just so wild and it's so fun and I like this woman's creativity is dazzling so that's sort of the background for you um for readability I gave this book an eight um I kept wanting to see what was going to happen next partially because I do think the world building in this book was really interesting parts of it did remind me of The Handmaid's Tale and there is a book I DNF'd but it was called Native Tongue and it was also a feminist fiction and I just couldn't vibe with it but a detail of it was it would have these historical documents in it that would like help explain how the society got how to the way it was and this book has that too which I'll touch on more when I get to like form but I just thought the world building was really unique and that's what kept me reading and kept me sort of wanting to see what happened next and what kind of crazy things unfolded but also just like how normal life kind of takes place for these people. Um, for language and style, I gave this book an 8.5. I really loved this author's writing style. Um, it was very bizarre, um, which I always really like, but it was also like really like, she was switching things up quite a bit because she would switch her writing style so much between the letters to um from Vanna or Vera to her sister um or the the man the her like male companion's perspective the historical documents she like had like five different unique writing styles that were all very I think well rounded um so that was great for form I gave this book a nine I've already talked about it it has like five different types or more of things in it. So it has letters, it has first person, like present tense perspectives. It has first person past tense perspectives. It has like historical documents 
it has like songs, it has poems, like it has all this different stuff and it all works very, very, very well together. And this is something we talked about a lot in school. Like how do we do exposition without dumping it on our reader? And I think this is one of the best examples of really quality exposition, especially in a science fiction slash dystopian novel that I've seen. And the only thing that I can think of, one of the only things I can think of that like was one, the first thing that turned me on to this style of exposition is The Handmaid's Tale. So I would definitely say, I'll, like, this is a book, if you love The Handmaid's Tale, definitely read this. Um, there's still a special place in my heart for The Handmaid's Tale, but as of late, of course, Margaret, At Margaret Atwood had to go and be a turf, um, which just crushed my soul. I, I wish she had just never said anything. So this is a good, like, rip if you don't feel comfortable reading The Handmaid's Tale because she's a turf, first of all, you should you could take it out from the library and then you're not giving Margaret any money. But second of all, I think you could read this instead. And it's it's not quite the same vibe, but it's actually very similar. And I would say in some ways, even though Red Clocks is like my favorite reproductive rights book, this one is more similar to The Handmaid's Tale than Red Clocks. But I would also say if you're a fan of Red Clocks, you'd be a fan of this. It's like one of those that like if I was going to teach a feminist fiction class, I would want to find a way to throw this book in. Um, and that, I guess, answers the question. I gave this book an eight for shelf worthiness, 8.5, I mean, for shelf worthiness. And if I would read it again, um, I definitely think everybody should take a look at this book just because of how like peculiar um, and different it is, but also because of the themes. And like, it's definitely something I would revisit. I don't do this often anymore, but like I dog-eared a shit ton of pages that had just stuff that was very relevant to our times today, which is something I also remember doing, like, for example, when I read Red Clocks or when I read The Power by Naomi Alderman. Um, so any lover of feminist work, pick this one up. Uh, for plot, I gave this book an eight. Um, like I said, I really enjoyed the plot. I thought the exposition was amazing. I thought the world building was great. I thought the stakes were high, but also just seeing like how these people live in their day-to-day -day lives was very intriguing to me. I think another like cool thing is I have been to Finland and some of the descriptions of the like places and the feeling in these places felt so legit to me as someone who's been there. So that's a cool thing. Like if you've been to Finland or you're Finnish, like I definitely think you would want to read this because like, I don't know if it's just we're cut off from European literature here in contemporary European literature here in the US, but like, I can't think of any other Finnish writers. Name a Finnish writer. I, I don't know. So like, this is like a fun thing for that. And I guess this ties into plot fairly well because I rated them on a similar note for characterization. I gave this book an eight. I was very invested in these characters and their lives, and especially the main character who goes by both Vana and Vera. Um, that's the other thing. You have to change your name when you're an Eloy because we're like names with R's in them are considered too masculine. So every Eloy has to have like N's in her na their name instead. So she's changed from Vera to uh, Vana, her sister's tains from Mira to Mana, there's Liana, there's like everybody has these like girly girly names and then the boys have like R's in their names like Harry and Jer. 
and then for the, of course, for the minus masks and the Morlocks, it doesn't count. They don't, it doesn't matter what their name is. But I, yeah, I thought these characters were really compelling. And it was a fairly short book, or at least it felt short. It felt like a quick read. And I still feel like you got a really good feel for these characters and for their past and the front story um, that I just really appreciated. So, yeah, I didn't really touch on too much of the actual like reproductive rights aspects of this book. Let me see if there's a passage or two that I can just pull because like I said, I dog-eared a lot of them that like give you a feel for like all the little feminist little tidbits that are spread throughout. So, yeah, the girls aren't like allowed to read books or anything. Like they're not allowed to have any knowledge of anything else other than being a mom and being a wife. Like here's just what is like gender fraud in um, Finnish law. So like you can be convicted of gender fraud for doing something that your gender isn't supposed to do. So that's like a nod to, to how like this would impact people who don't fit into one specific gender stereotype. Like I said, they have like, oh, there was one part that was really, I'll mention this, that's what I'll do. I won't read it, but I'll mention this part just because I remember reading it and being like, oh my God, that's the world we live in. Only certain people are deemed worthy of healthcare. So you're denied proper healthcare if you're like poor or if you're not like an Eloy and a, um, a masco and so there's this part about like these people who like were deemed not to have taken good care of themselves so they're not allowed to have any health care and that just feels so much like yes in this episode we've talked a lot about how like women or people who can get pregnant and especially people who are living in poverty are unable to get access to abortion th that falls under the umbrella of certain people in America can't even access basic health care. Uh, and that was highlighted in this book. Um, just one of the many ways that fiction can be a, a window and a mirror to our own society. So yeah, that's the core of the sun. Can we just talk about how if I had to change my R to an N, my name, there'd literally be the word man in my name. Manissa. My name is Manissa. I'm already feminine enough. Lindsay. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Freaking ours. That book sounds actually really interesting, especially from like an outside of like um the US perspective, because especially like all these other countries, like I hear like Australia is protesting in like defense of America, being like, well, not defense of America, against America being like what are you doing to your women? Your women deserve reproductive rights. Like, what the fuck is wrong? Am I allowed to curse on here? Yeah. Yeah. But what the fuck is wrong with you? Because as other countries see it, and especially because like the United States was once like on the global stage, just like a highly thought of country, especially now, not just with like the past presidencies, but with the actions we continue to have, it's quite sad that this country has like turned into like literally a dystopian and seeing other countries try to take a spin on that but even realizing they're not even like a quarter way closed out as close as we are to a dystopian as they are is disheartening that was a, that was a really interesting look at it okay so outlawed hmm I loved this book. Liza recommended it to me because she knows what 
I like to read when I'm straying away from like my usual like fantasy, romance, elves running through fields in love with one another. And so with this book, like it may it just in general what's going on in the world right now, it made me think very deeply about honestly how lucky I am compared to the people who are there versus like but also just the world this author builds is so interesting. The author's like actually a journalist. You can like see it in her writing. Everything's very well thought out and researched. I can see where her influences come from. I definitely think it's like polygamist, uh, fundamentalist societies mixed with Handmaid's Tale. But it's about like this girl named Ada who lives in, like it's 1890s. The flu has taken over everyone. All these societies are living in the wild west, and um, every girl is forced to get married I think around like the age of 18 like as like really young as you can and if you don't produce a child within the first year most of the husbands like leave their wives claiming them to be infertile witches and either get hung or people like accuse them of creating curses that kill other babies it's very like eat or be eaten kind of world and if you cannot produce a baby you are not worthy of being alive so it's very sad and scary but from where Ada comes from, her mom's a midwife. And so she's brought so many babies into the world, helped cure people of sicknesses. And it's a very like beautiful way to see this practice, which even she says, she's like, I know women aren't infertile from curses or from, they even take racism in of mixing bloodlines with different races. Like, so people claim that as why infer- and like infertility is caused. And they have a very like strong line throughout the story saying these like, horrible excuses and like causing people witches or saying it's because of races mixing is all because of like we don't understand the world around us like they don't have the science to know but these people need to have an answer or they're not going to know how to move forward in the world so they live under the society of um basically idolizing the mother mary and baby jesus and they always say baby jesus and mother mary but um throughout what happens is like ada her mother is like this midwife who had trained her her whole life so she is very skilled in knowing what herbs to use how to heal people from sicknesses how to bring babies into the world successfully how to help someone who's bleeding out like she's a very smart smart girl and she marries this boy who she's like had a courtship and kind of fallen in love with and then when she can't produce a baby his family discards of her he discards of her and she's just left not knowing what to do and the whole town is after her because this girl like blames her for the reason she had a miscarriage she's like she cursed me that's why and so she runs this convent that sends her to um this group of outlaws that i think because the the main um leader of the outlaws is called the kid which is based off of i'm almost positive um billy the kid which is a known outlaw in uh like western society in the same time period this story takes place and so she um with outlaws who turn out to be all infertile women who dress as men which is like very near and dear to my heart because I've wrote I've written stories about women who pretend to be men and they're just trying to find like a way in their world they're they, they use scripture in a way that feels beautiful to describe how they're trying to create a land like Canaan which is Israel for infertile women to like be able to live and thrive and not be in constant threat of their lives. And so they have all these like crazy plans and these ideas, but even while Ada is like a part of the society of outlaws, she has this dream to find this doctor who she's been reading her books, um, who 
is doing a study to discover why women aren't fertile. And so you get this like medical side of everything of trying to discover like why people think this way and why people are backwards thinkers and then navigating themselves in this society. And I just, I loved how the two came together and like, honestly, I'm this perfect harmony. I'm, I'm one of those types of people that either I love a book or I hate it. And if I hate it, I'll put it down before I finish it. So any of my opinions right now, I take with a slight grain of salt. (laughs) because if I love it, I love it. If I hate it, I hate it. There is absolutely no in between. But as for like the rating scale, um, for readability, I like rated it an eight. I definitely like was wanted to keep reading it, but it wasn't always on my mind. I really liked it though. So I would like continue to go after it. The language was great. I rated it like a seven. It was very clean. Nothing really special about it. I would say there was like some lines here and there that as like our Professor Eliza Williams would say had some crunchy words, but it was just normal language that I think I see it in like lots of books by good writers that I've admired. Um, there was no experimental aspect of it or anything with form. It was a very like straight to you kind of story. There were chapters um, and it, a very like effective plot line. As for um, Shalt like being shelf worthy, like read again. I am horrible and I will never read a book again, even if I love it. Absolutely. The only time I've ever done that is I've never read a full book again. I've only read like a small little portion of it because like either I really liked that very tiny part or that very tiny part was very smutty and I want to read it again. (laughs) But um, I would totally like add it to my collection, keep it on my shelf. I'd recommend it to everyone. I never reread books, but I would totally... I tell everyone else to read this. I really, really liked, especially like anything with, I've never read a a Western before. This makes me want to read more Westerns. Like I love the way the society was structured. It felt very reminiscent of like the aspects I loved of Handmaid's Tale, but also put into like this ruthless society where women could leave and lead their own lives because there was just like open air and many of them like the women in this story like pretended to be men to get by because women couldn't even travel alone without suspicion but Abba is like hell-bent on finding this doctor and discovering why she's infertile at first I think she's just trying to discover like not exactly how to get her husband back but how to get her family back like her family still loves her her mother her sisters but she wants to rejoin them But later, I think it becomes about taking care of other women and taking care of the people who she's gotten to know and love who are also infertile. It's a big unification of sisterhood. And that's what I think I see most in like everything going on now is as much as it is horrible of Roe versus Wade being overturned and all the, um, even like with Trump becoming president, I have seen such a strong unification of women that, I love to see in the world, especially when I think a lot of times when I meet women, it's either one way or the other, either it's your girl's girl. Like you want to make friends with everyone. You want to be with everyone. Or for some reason you've convinced yourself I'm your enemy just because I'm also feminine and seeing societies where like, and also having friendships of my own where women are close together, love each other and are there for each other through each issue it's just a great thing to see. And I just, I love the way this story unfolded. I highly recommend it for anyone. But as for like the rest of my skill, I've got to pull it up again. But there was like, as for plot, I loved the plot. 
Um, there were no, I would say, like twists and turns. So I rated like an eight. Nothing felt exactly predictable, but I liked the flow. I vaguely knew where things were going. Nothing shocked me. And then I loved the characters. I rated the characters like a nine. All of them had backstories that I think could have been written into the story a little more seamlessly. They were given like all in very similar ways. Like I'm talking to you and I'm going to ask you about your backstory. And then you're just going to tell me a snippet of it. And then tell me the rest when you're a little more comfortable with me. But I liked how all their backstories like connected to the theme of the way women fit in this world. Like one, she's like one character spoke about how, um, she lived in a town that was integrated. And then this preacher came in who said that integration is what causes infertility. And so her family was torn apart and she was going to be used as a image of what it looked like to create an infertile child because you mix bloodlines and races. And then another uh, person was saying that she was supposed, like she dealt with mental illness. And um, I think it was very similar to like either depression, like depression or bipolar disorder, where very high highs, very low lows, and these low lows, like made you do things that are very outside of your character, like touched on lots of different points and how in these time periods, but even in this world, nobody knew how to exactly deal with them. But you had to rely on like the support system of these other women who happen to also be infertile to take care of you. I did feel like a little teary eye during certain points, but I'm also that person like if I read a sad scene in a book where I see like a America's Got Talent video where like somebody tells a sad story, I like get a little teary eyed. So trust my judgment with a grain of salt. But there are some like definitely like heart touching moments in this book. So I highly recommend it. Everyone should read it. I really loved it. I want to read it bad. I it's so good, and I actually really liked like. A lot of the times I feel like main characters like fade into the background and there's definitely other characters that stick out and are your favorites, but I loved Ada all the way throughout. I don't think she made a, made a step that made me like question my love for her. She's a good character. That's important. Cause I feel like, yeah, you're right. Like often I feel like sometimes your favorite character will be a side character. Like, or like nothing compared to one that like pops out of the woodwork. It's like, I'm the star. Yeah. Same with like whenever you go see theater, there's always one person that steals the stage that's not the main character. Right. But I think other people come out that you really like, but Ada's still like, she's a mm-hmm. good, solid character. That's with a good heart. I like, I really like read this book. It it's, was good. It was it's a very cool concept for a book too. Like, it's also really funny. Like Shane's um, godfather, my boyfriend, he, really likes to read we were at dinner one night and i was like oh yeah i'm reading this book called outlaw he goes i love that book it's such a quick read and this old like jewish man who um is a doctor also like read this feminist i would say like reproductive rights book and absorbed it and loved it the same way as i did is just so exciting that is so fun that's important it just like shows that like this I think it's also because this writer is a journalist. Like she's probably written, I don't know, I should do some more research on her, but written about this exact issue. Like she has done her research. She knows how to do her research. Right. I think very effectively to make the plot interesting, the aspect of it being like, it was only very slightly dystopian. I would say it was more historical fiction, but it was dystopian because they mentioned this flu that like changed the trajectory of this world and the way people view um, fertility. But- I loved it. 
I feel like women don't write Westerns very much either. Like you don't see that many Westerns written by women. So that in and of itself is like a radical act. It makes me want to read a Western, but I don't think any of them will satisfy me the way this one did. Probably not now that you've read this like cool feminist yeah. one. I think the rest would be like too male heavy. Now you got to write a feminist Western, Lindsay. I know. Honestly, I've thought about it now, but I feel like she did something really great with language too. Whenever she tried to do like really like either Christian or Bible quoting talk or even like Western talk, she did it very effectively. Like one of the characters quoted, quoted scripture a lot, but I never felt like how I usually feel when someone quotes scripture at me because this person was taking the scripture and then like pulling it in a sense of how it was fitting their like feminist agenda. And it felt right. <laughs> I don't know if anyone knows this, but does long COVID affect fertility? I don't think so. No, I don't think they know that. Like, I can't say like it. Sorry. I don't know. I do know. No, I don't know, actually. I know COVID can affect your menstrual cycle. It can? Can it? I guess it can make it, like, longer the next time, like, after you had COVID or something. <laughs> All that COVID. I would be so mad. Me too. Not, like, super long, but, like, you know, eight days instead of five or ten days instead of seven. Oh, I hate COVID. But also, like, I don't know, anything. Like, one of my therapists, she's pregnant and she has COVID right now. But she's good. Like they realize it doesn't affect pregnant women, but still, like I've noticed in general, I don't feel like it's probably any different than it has ever been in the past. But because we have the testing possible, it looks like it's more frequent, like infertility. Like I know so many more women can get tested for it now, and they can't have a baby. They go get tested. They try to figure out what's wrong. But I'm sure, I really am sure, just the same amount of women, women were having those issues before, but there was no way to get tested. There was nowhere to go. Right. right. There's uh, documentaries that come out, like the doctor who impregnated like 25, like so many of his patients and had their children, like women were going to doctors then too, but there wasn't as many options. Now it looks like it's this huge like epidemic, but I really think the numbers is the same as before. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. Yeah, it's just like the way that the infertility was like treated in this book of like the women witches, something was wrong with them. It goes more back to what I was saying before about like you don't need reproductive organs that work in the way that society deems they should to be considered a woman. And they definitely see it that way in this society. And they mentioned like maybe it's, they mentioned this flu and I think she's, that happened years ago. And I think she's trying to allude that this flu is what caused the infertility. Like that's what this society uses, but it's really just like either natural or it is from that. I don't know, but it's just, even to see it now, like in our society, like I saw this, um, I think it was a Jimmy Fallon. I'm not sure. I don't want to throw any Jimmys under the rug, but they were like interviewing people of, like what makes a woman a woman. It might've just been some like TikTok channel. Yeah. Um, someone said like being able to have babies. Uh, I just thought that was disgusting. That's so disgusting too, because like, what about trans women? Also yeah. just have babies doesn't mean you're a woman because what about trans men? Or people who choose not to have babies, people who don't, who get right. hysterectomies because of, 
maybe they have a BRCA gene. Who freaking cares? Like, OS, like, yep, exactly. But mm, I don't know. Life is society, society is a scary place. It's really scary. It's really scary right now, but it also feels like it's always been scary, but it also feels extra scary. Yeah. It's just not good. Not good at all. Let's throw it away. <laughs> Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing like this book with us and for sharing your experience with the overturning of Roe v. Wade and just talking about, we love feminist fiction and we love to talk about feminist fiction. And you're one of our favorite feminist fiction writers and connoisseurs, so. Thank you. You guys are my fam- favorite feminist writers, writers in general, reviewers of books. So many titles in this room. Do you have anything you want to plug, like any projects coming up or anything online that people we should link to or things people should check out? Um, not yet, but eventually. I do have an article a while ago that was po- uh, published by The Greatest about um, circumcision and men. <laughs> I do think like as much as we talk about female reproductive rights, men are as well. And since doing my own research on circumcision, even as a Jewish woman where circumcision is preached and a part of the religion, I find it vastly barbaric as well as women's um, mutilation and reproductive organs. So it's for reproductive rights. If you want a glimpse into like the male side, I'd check out my article with the greatest under Lindsay Lapatinsky that article was so good I like remember when it came out I like originally started as like a Jewish article like about myself and then like all the Jewish organizations were like we don't want this you're talking against our shit and then I like sent it to a health like a, just like a normal publication that wanted health sexual articles and they loved it so as for writers out there if you have one thing that you is specifically for a certain niche send it to the exact opposite and you might see happy results and happy edits that's a good idea yeah (laughs) Uh, what are we reading next week um i don't know (laughs) what what is next week (laughs) next week is mary shelley's birthday is that really already happening yeah Oh my god. We're reading books about or inspired by Mary Shelley, who's our other favorite one of our other favorite feminist um queens, inventor of monster horror, inventor of horror, inventor of goth um culture. So I'm reading Love and Fury by Samantha Silva, which is about the night and the weeks after Mary Wollstonecraft renowned feminist and mother of Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley um, gave birth to Mary Shelley. And I'm very excited to read it. Marissa, do you know what you're reading? I do. It, luckily, it was right next to me. Okay. Um, I'm going to read this little tiny thing. It's called Mary Shelley Gothic Tales. And I think it's just um, two short stories by Mary Shelley. Short story by Mary Shelley. I've never read it. Anything that's short by her. 
And that's it. That's all. That's all the three girlies wrote. That's all that we got for you today. Thank you to Lindsay. Thank you, Lindsay. Check out her stuff. We'll link anything that she has. And go read the books, except for Marissa's book. Don't read that one. Don't read Marissa's book. Don't read it. I mean, if you want to for fun, go ahead. But I told you what happens. Read Marissa's actual book. Don't read the book she read this week. Read After Death Dehydration, not Roe v. Wade. There's childbirth in there. Not child. There's birth. There's birth. And it's one of my favorite stories in there. So there you go. Dr. Hyman. Mm -hmm. Coming in clutch. All right, guys. He is nursing. I think that means it's time for her to go to sleep. She said, good night. She said, peace out. She said, I am not fixed. I'm very troubled, but a man does not get to tell me that I'm troubled.